Hi Wellspring Church and everyone else who's joining us. It's wonderful to connect with you in this way and share this time together. We're continuing in our series on waiting. My name is David and I've got the privilege to be sharing waiting part four with you. Now so far in our waiting series we've looked at waiting in the silence when we don't hear much happening or when God may not seem to be doing anything or speaking to us. But we've also looked at waiting with unfulfilled promises and when God hasn't quite brought to completion what we're hoping for. And finally, last week, we looked at waiting and our response to God's invitation. Today, in our waiting, I'd like to talk about getting ready for what's next. Are you getting ready for what's next? If you think about it, before you go out to certain places or before you go out for a meal in a restaurant or before you go out to some sort of gathering or maybe a, a wedding, you get changed. You get changed so you're suitable and appropriate for what you're going on to. You make changes in how you're dressed and make changes even in what you're thinking and what you're up to for what's next to prepare for yourself the next stage. And in the same way, if you think about society in this lockdown time, a lot of this time has been preparing and getting ready for what's next. And just think about it, the town centre, businesses, even the way you're doing family, even the way we're doing church, we're constantly getting changed to be ready for what's next. Lots of things are changing. And so as we bring our attention and focus to God and our relationship with God, I wonder, are we getting ready for what's next with God as a church, but even as individuals? Because I believe God's word for us, for all those listening, for you at home or for wherever you are, God's word for you is it's time to get changed. Get ready for what I'm doing and get ready for what I'm about to do. So waiting part four, it's time to get changed. And we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture from Isaiah. We're going to be looking at chapter six. Isaiah is a book that's kind of in the middle of at least a paper Bible. And, and so if you'd like to uh, find your Bible or your app and uh go to chapter six of Isaiah, then I'm going to read verses one to eight, um, even though we will spend some time looking at the whole chapter. Now, just to give you some context and background, because it's really important for us to appreciate the prophet Isaiah to get his prophecy and to draw more out of it. And so for many of those who are um, who, who sort of know scripture, know Isaiah, or, or maybe just heard a lot of Christian uh, talk about Jesus, a lot of the passages of scripture used to talk about Jesus's birth and who he is comes from Isaiah. So when we talk about Isaiah, Isaiah in this day, a lot of us would think of a lot of hope and comfort and deliverance because so much of what Isaiah said was about Jesus. But the thing is, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years. And so in his time, it wasn't quite the same as the time of Jesus 
and the time we have right now. In fact, when Isaiah prophesied, the kingdom of Israel was split, was going through a civil war. There was a northern kingdom, Israel. There's a southern kingdom, Judah. And uh, Isaiah was a prophet for the kingdom of Judah. Now, in his lifetime, as he prophesied, he, he brought about much of God's judgment. And he was sharing about God's judgment for Israel's rebellion. And what happened during his lifetime is actually that the northern kingdom, Israel, was destroyed by Assyria. And then later on, <laughs> the prophet Isaiah continued to warn Judah that actually if we don't turn to the Lord, things are going to get bad for Judah too. And eventually they did. Now, I think Isaiah had passed by this time, but he even prophesied the downfall of Judah, that Judah would be captured and taken into exile by Babylon. So you could see Judah himself in his time of preaching, he was an unpopular prophet. Kind of reminds me of like a painter, Vincent van Gogh or Vincent van Gogh. You know, even though he's a really famous and appreciated artist right now, in his lifetime, he only sold one painting. It was actually after he died that he was really appreciated. And I feel the same is for Isaiah. It was only after he died that all his prophecy, all his work was really taken into consideration and appreciated because all of what he said has come true. Isaiah was a prophet of God. Now, let's read chapter six. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I, I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. And we'll stop there. The first part of what I'd like to share with us today is that Isaiah humbled himself. Throughout this scripture, what we're going to be looking at is how Isaiah changed and how we can change also. And Isaiah, in his encounter with God in a vision of the temple, which kind of mirrors like heaven, you see Isaiah freaking out. Woe to me. What am I doing here? He is really not ready to be having this encounter, to be in the presence of God. And what you can see is he, he realises he's unsuitable to be before God. It's inappropriate for him to be in the presence of this holy, beautiful, righteous God. And what happens next is that a seraphim, this weird, strange angel with all the wings coming at him, brings a burning coal 
from the altar and places it on his lips. Now, interesting, throughout this time, at the beginning of this vision, Isaiah doesn't run away. It seems that he's fearful, but he doesn't turn and run. He also doesn't ignore what he's seeing. He doesn't ignore this encounter. He doesn't shut his eyes. In fact, he says, my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. Even with the seraphim coming over to him, he doesn't turn and run. He doesn't try and fix himself because he realises there's nothing he can do. And although he speaks about his lips being unclean and coming from unclean people, what you understand is he realises there's something wrong with him, that he's a sinful man, that he's selfish, that he's in the wrong and he's in the presence of righteousness, a holy God. And so this winged angel purifies his lips, but actually we can see his guilt is taken from him and his sin is atoned for. Not only were his lips cleansed, but actually his heart was cleansed. His heart was changed. When Isaiah humbled himself, his heart was changed. My first point for us today is that we need to humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, we get a change of heart. We all need a change of heart. It's time for change and it's time for a change of heart. When God reveals himself to us, it becomes very apparent. We become very aware of our faults and failings, that we are sinful and that we are selfish to the core. But you know what? God doesn't remove us. God doesn't destroy us. He didn't do that with Isaiah and he won't do that with us. He makes a way for us. He provides the solution. And I want to encourage you in this time of waiting, as you meet with God or if you encounter God, don't run. I know it's weird. I know it can be strange. I know it can really bring about your, your guilt and shame and flaws and, and your selfishness. But don't run. You're actually in the right place, even though you feel unsuitable for it. Don't ignore what God is doing either. Don't see it and then shut your eyes on it. And please don't think you can make yourself right for this to continue. Don't try and fix things. Don't try and cover things up. It's like my daughter, Olivia, she's only nine months, but every time she has a meal, she gets filthy, even wearing a bib. And even though I come with my wet wipe, take off her bib and try and clean her and, you know, wipe her down. I'll let you know that Hannah, my wife, would say she's still filthy. In fact, anything she touches will still become dirty. What Olivia needs is a complete change of clothes. Really, what she needs is a bath and a complete change of clothes. But it's the same with us. Let's not try and take matters into our own hands to appeal and appear good enough for God. Nothing we can do will ever really make a lasting difference. It's, it's futile. We have to trust in God. And what we need to do is humble ourselves. And when we humble ourselves, God provides the answer. When we humble ourselves, God changes our hearts. Isaiah humbled himself. And when he humbled himself, his heart was changed. 
We need to change our hearts. We need to humble ourselves. And you see, the humbling process brings about an opportunity for us to receive what Jesus came to do and accomplished for us on the cross. Our forgiveness, dealing with our sin. Jesus came from the altar, the throne room of heaven, came to earth. And all who he touched, you know, those people he touched, they were healed and they were forgiven. And even today, we can have a touch from Jesus when we humble ourselves, we acknowledge our sin, we confess before the Lord and he takes our sin and shame and guilt, removes it and spends the rest of life with us. Now, it's important to realise where Isaiah was, was the temple. And so there was this understanding that not only was he um, unsuitable in terms of his heart, but it's interesting that he was unsuitable in terms of being there himself, because uh, it was only a priest who was allowed in there, the high priest, and a high priest had to wear special garments. It's interesting that Jesus is known as our high priest from heaven. And in fact, what he does is he gives us his righteous robe. Just think of that for a moment. We are clothed in our own guilt and in our own shame, the rags of this world. But Jesus, the high priest from heaven, gives us our right. He gives us a new robe, a righteous robe from heaven. And he removes all the guilt, all the shame and those garments. It's time to humble ourselves and receive. Second, if you see in verse eight, <laughs> Isaiah humbles himself and now he volunteers himself. Who is this man? For a moment, we have him absolutely terrified. And now we have him volunteering before God saying, here am I, send me. I mean, a complete change of heart. And now he, he's actually having a conversation with God and God speaks to him. It's so interesting. God is waiting for Isaiah. And once Isaiah is made suitable, then God speaks to him. So far, Isaiah has only spoken to the seraphim or to himself. But now he gets to speak in dialogue with God. And not, does he, not only does he speak with God, but God gives him a new message. God gives him his word and sends him out. A new message. Not something he had already, but something new. You know, when we volunteer ourselves to God, we receive a new message. We receive his word, not our own, but his. Not just simply our thoughts, but what he has and his wisdom. And I think in this period of waiting, whatever it is you're waiting for or going through, it's really important that you volunteer yourself up, volunteer the situation, volunteer the circumstances you have over to God that he may give you his word for the moment or his commission, his sending of you for his purposes. Because God wants to give you his plan and his purposes. We need to change our message. And that comes from us in humble submission, volunteering ourselves. And I want to really encourage you at this point, because look at Isaiah from going from just fear to Yes, anything, God, send me. A lot of us 
can disqualify ourselves. A lot of us don't think we're worthy of the message God gives us or the commission or the plan and purpose, the original intent God had for our lives. We think we've squandered it. We think we've ruined it, disqualified ourselves. I just want to encourage you. God has called you. Called you. Each and every one of us has a unique and special, intimate, may I say, intimate, loving call from God. You may have heard it said, God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the call. Please don't dismiss yourself. Allow God to give you a message and allow that message to spread amongst the world and all those that God sends you to. It's really interesting to realise that everybody has a message, whether they're aware of it or not. That message really speaks of the values of their lives, what's important to them. You get a new message when you get a new heart, a change of heart. You get to share how good God is by the way you live your life, but you also get to share God's word in intentional ways and speak out truth. Finally, my third point is Isaiah resists himself. Now, the, the word that Isaiah is given by God is a real difficult one. It's a real challenging one until you get the whole spectrum of what happens and what is what happens with Jesus. But what he receives there is really difficult. So from verses nine right through to the end of the passage, it's, it's some difficult stuff he receives. And it's, it's a real challenge because it would be unpopular. And not only that, even in the message he receives, God basically says, you're going to prophesy and people aren't going to hear you. People aren't, well, people aren't going to listen to you. People aren't really going to see what you see. They're not going to hear what you're really saying. Just imagine that. Like, this is what I want you to do, but it's not going to go well. Well, not in your eyes anyway. The success rate was really low. Anyway. He was still tasked to do it. And what I love, poor Isaiah, verse 11. And I think this is the cry of all our hearts. How long, O Lord? How long? This isn't going well. How long? I really want to encourage you here with what God says to Isaiah is until. The first word he says is until. Until whatever God has planned, whatever God has promised, until that comes to pass, press on. Keep going. God needed to, um, well, it was God's plan to remove certain things and uh, make the land pure um, or uh, rid the land of all this corruption so that his holy seed, his plans and purpose could come and grow. It says about the holy stump in verse 13, to make way for the Lord's plans and purposes. Poor Isaiah, he had to resist his own urges. He had to resist the way he would like it to be done. Yet, as we know from the book of Isaiah, he continues to carry God's message and to say it, to preach it, to proclaim it. We need a change of priority. You see, when we humble ourselves, when we get a change of heart, we also get a change of message. And with that change of message comes a change of priority. Will we follow after and go after the Lord's priority? Even when things get grim, even when things are difficult and success really isn't our success. In fact, it looks like failure and failings. 
Will we stick to humbling ourselves? Would we stick to volunteering and re-volunteering ourselves up to God's plans and purposes, to his word and carrying his word? See, the word we receive from God, it is for us, but it's not just for us. There's a temptation to just keep it for ourselves or shelve it. But actually, God would want us to operate in it. We need to change our priorities. And to do that, we need to resist ourselves. And that's really difficult to resist ourselves. It's so counterintuitive. You see, the word that we were given to be Christians in this world is foolishness to those who don't believe. In fact, it, it just it doesn't make sense. It doesn't appeal. It's countercultural. But this is the Lord's calling for each and every one of us. And so simply, I just wanted to share a illustration of what I think would help us in knowing how to resist ourselves. You know, before, just before a wedding begins or a, a wedding ceremony starts, it's really important that you go to toilet, right? Because you don't want to be going to toilet during the service. And it's really important that you turn off your phone. Turn off your phone so you're not distracted. And finally, when you're at a wedding and you're, you're waiting for uh, the bridegroom to come down and um, you're, you're meeting loads of new people, different people, and you're, you're kind of having a reminisce and you just want to chat and you want to talk. But, but actually, you need to bring those conversations to a close for the marriage ceremony to focus, refocus on what is about to happen. We need to get rid of those temptations and impurities in our lives that interrupt what God has and what God has for us and what God would want and desire for other people. We also need to avoid meaningless distractions. And I really want to help you with this. I think screens is a big thing. I know you're watching this on a screen. So there is a ignorance to this or hypocrisy, whatever. But actually, I've realised turning off screens really does help. It really will help you resist some of the things that aren't good for you. And finally, sometimes it's just about waiting for the suitable and right timing. Because like wanting to talk to people at a wedding isn't a bad thing, but you've got to wait for the right time. You have desires for your life, which are good, but they need to fall in the priority of what God has for you. Resist yourself. We need to humble ourselves. We need to volunteer ourselves and we need to resist ourselves. It's time for a change. We need a change of heart. We need a change of message. And we need a change of priority. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time together. And I pray for all those listening that you would, by your grace and mercy, meet with us, encounter us, and renew our hearts. Would you change our hearts? And Lord God, in changing our hearts, would you give us your word, your precious word for our lives? Would you reveal your plans and purposes, even in this time right now? Would you move in our lives? And Father, would you give us the courage, the confidence to hold on to your word, even when the world would reject us, even when it doesn't look successful in our eyes? And I pray, Father, you would help us with prioritising you. Help us to get out of the way. Lord God, we invite you to be the centre of our lives. Lord God, may our lives revolve around you. 
And I pray, Father, for where we're struggling with temptation and distractions and things that are unclean or impure or with our own kind of wanting uh, the plans to unfold as we would like them. Father, would you help us to prioritise our lives on you? Really what I'm asking, Lord God, is would you help us to trust in you and to obey your word? In Jesus' name.